When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In a world where treasure hunters are kind of bumbling idiots, one man decides to undertake a quest. I'm Heinrich Schliemann, and I will discover Troy! This summer, join us as we follow Heinrich Schliemann as he destroys all archaeological evidence of the city of Troy. (laughs) This episode, we're talking about a moron whose money allowed him to destroy an archaeological site. Jake, roll the tape. Way to bury the lead there, dude. What an episode. <laughs> what an episode. But it's more than just one guy who who thought <laughs> that who destroyed archaeology. It's more <laughs> than this one bumbling idiot. We're going to be discussing in in our in our quest to discover and talk about treasure hunters in our series that we are going to be talking about treasure, treasure hunters, and Soon, modern treasuring, tre- treasuring, treasuring, modern treasure hunters. You got to start somewhere, and you need to start. I like. I think of this as sort of the 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 best cautionary story about treasure hunting and archaeology, and sort of this huge romanticizing of um, of what is actually a science that should be followed more precisely yeah so we're talking about troy yeah so what's crazy so we're like marie said we're doing the story of the discovery or not really the discovery but kind of like the re the reclamation of the by the west i guess of of troy of the ancient city of troy if an ancient city of troy ever actually existed in the way that the homeric odysseys and iliads and etc discuss it we're talking about Heinrich Schliemann, uh, a character actually that Marie, I didn't honestly know all that much about this character until you suggested this as a topic, like as an overarching topic, right, of treasure hunting. And then so specifically good. Schliemann himself as this weird figure who. So crazy. It's cr- yes. it is it is it is knuck and futz the amount of damage <laughs> one person can do. Well, but and I think it's but it's it's sort of. You know, uh, it's almost like a cautionary fable about archaeology and sort of about the time that he was operating in and this colonial mindset that not only could come in and create this narrative, create all this interest, like we'll get into it more, but, you know, really ignite the fire in um, in Europe for for this type of activity, but then also, you know, just sort of self-create this entire mythos and legend 
on top of another myth, which I think is amazing. Because, like, when you start to, like, drill down to, like, what's the actual factual information you have about this this dig site and what it is and and when it was truly found and what are they what are they archiving or what are they bringing to the surface i should say um it's kind of there's not there's stuff gets really confusing really fast yeah it's it's wild so for li- okay so for listeners that don't have the kind of background knowledge here and honestly i honestly did not know a lot of this before we started researching this anyways so um it's kind of interesting, I guess, just how much of our history, I mean, as as Jeb Card would say in Spooky Archaeology, right, we just kind of, we tend to just push it all back into our brains as, like, proto-history or, like, the age of mythology. And what's weird yes. is that, what's really weird is that Schliemann, up until the point that Schliemann discovered, or I guess rediscovered this site, Troy was thought of, like, Atlantis, or you know it was yes. this it was a lost civilization it was this mytho this, this mythical place that what's well, a we legend right it's a it's a legendary place that we didn't think actually existed you know we just kind of took it to be a part of a story or a mythology because the main information we have about it comes from the works of Homer yes so just to give a little bit of just to give a little bit of timeliness to this story i guess sort of what I was thinking of, right? So just to put this in context, right? The city-state, I guess the city-state of Troy was thought to have existed between like 1400 and 12,000 BC, somewhere in that time period, which means that Troy would have been a thing around the same time that King Tut was was in power in Egypt. Yes. The story, this is an interesting parallel. Yeah, the story of Troy gets to us through the works of Homer, specifically the Iliad. Yes. And so Homer, it's thought existed. We, st- we don't even know if Homer was a real person, but Homer, the person Homer that we tend to link to these stories, we believe existed around 12,800 BC. So Homer wrote these stories either towards the end of Troy being a thing um, to like 400 years later. Right. And, and most people believe it's like a couple hundred years after that that he actually wrote it. And then which is a big gap of time. It's a true writing it's a, about something. It's a triple. Well, here's the thing. Right. The, the other big crazy thing. So part of Troy, we I think in the West, especially and I know I do this personally, we kind of lump all of like Greco Roman history together into just like Rome. You know what I mean? Rome, <laughs> yeah. the city Rome was founded in 750 B.C. So at the end of the possible time Homer existed, the Roman Empire wasn't uh, founded until 30 BC. That means that for Rome, as as a person in Rome, Troy was as far away in history from them as we are from the rule of Charlemagne. Nice. So we're talking like, this is like super far history, right? This is not some, you know, this is serious. So, okay, Marie. Give listeners here. Tell us a little bit about what makes Troy what makes Troy famous. So Homer's account of Troy, basically, um, like you were saying, it, it happened quite some time ago. But he spoke about it in the Iliad, and when he so there's the two most famous. You know, everyone had to read at some point in any kind of uh, high school or college, right? Was yes. the, the Odyssey, which is much more famous, or the Iliad. And the Iliad is 
the account of uh, the fall of Troy. And it takes place in the 10th year of the siege against Troy. And it tells sort of the events that have taken place in a in the span of like a, just a very short period of time or just about two weeks. And so it opens saying, hey, you know what? The exactly that he says, Homer says, hey, hey, you guys, you know what? Um, <laughs> the, the, the siege has taken its place on the Greek forces. They, so the Greek forces were sent to recover Helen. Paris uh, has the, the prince. Is he a prince? Oh, yeah, God. he's like he's like yeah. yeah it's the prince Paris. He's basically some, a prince. Yeah, it does, he's yeah. basically a prince. He spirited Helen away. Um, again, this is all sort of Greek myth. He spirited Helen away to Troy. The Greeks go um, at behest of Agamemnon to reclaim her and bring her back. And so the Greek forces are sent to recover her. And things are. Um, it's not a short time period or a short war, according to Homer. It's a. Uh, it's been going on, and he's now he's now capturing it in its tenth year. Um, so it's a stalemate at this point. The Greeks are unable to take the city, and the Trojans are unable to drive them back into the sea. Um, one of the quotes is, "We sons sons of Greece outnumber the Trojans, those who live in the cities." But there are companions from other cities in their numbers, wielders of spears here to help them. So again, like they're they're basically in a stalemate. Uh, it's a war of attrition, and this is where the story picks up. And there's a number of key events that happen in the in the poem, um, including a duel of uh, Menelaus, the king of Sparta, and the husband of Helen, who is there to reclaim his wife um, against Paris who absconded with her to Troy. Right. And so they get to and so they get to this essentially too which is which is really a good moral of the story is whoever whoever wins the duel gets to keep Helen like gets she's Helen. like yep. she's a an ornamental uh bust a or something, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, exactly. Great yeah. great myth great mythologizing. Um so Troy so the historical Troy is or this part this Troy in Homer's telling is supposed to exist in Anatolia, which today we come, we know is Turkey, right? It's modern day Turkey. Yes. And it exists someplace on the coastline, right? Obviously they're fighting. They're talking about pushing them into the sea and everything else. Um, and based on all the accounts, it would seem like Troy is a really important seaport. But again, if you think about when written history really starts, like the home, you know, the Homeric, the Homeric epics are mm-hmm. some of the earliest forms of really kind of historical writing that we have, right? I mean, there was there was history before that, right? There's what is it, Herodotus? Yeah. Yes. Well, it's like quasi-historical because it's not factual historical; it's allegorical, right? It's like he's telling the stories that are important of the time, right? But it's not like he's. You know, it's not an it's not exactly a factual base, right? In any of his and, and, anything. And this is actually literally this is this, the histories were published by Herodotus in 440 mm-hmm. BC, approximately. So this is like a thousand years, <laughs> a thousand years before history becomes a thing, Marie. Right. So this is all just like this is all just stories. And again, like you have the gods interfering in 
whatever's happening. So, you know, Menelaus and Paris are broken up by the gods, you know, and so the duel does not occur. Um, another important duel during this time, which is much more well-known, is Achilles uh, and Hector. And again, if, if anyone has ever seen, you know, the movie Troy with uh, with Brad Pitt and what was the other guy, the guy who was... Uh, anyways, like, again, just it, it might as well be a... Um, Oh, God, I can't remember the guy's name. Oh, yeah. Bruckheimer. It's like a Bruckheimer event, right? I mean, it's like there's a lot of explosions for some reason. (laughs) There was car chases. I mean, there might as well have been. It's sort of like this, again, this re-fictionalization of this actual, you know, or this actual fictionalization. But um, Achilles and Hector, and he knows, Hector knows that he's he's no match for Achilles, um, but again, the gods intervene, and in turn, uh, Achilles is is killed by a spear to his heel, which is uh, you know the very famous the famous saying, which is the most well known. Um, but again, after this this you know, I think one of the things that's interesting is it's not it doesn't end with Homer's story does not end with the destruction of Troy or the siege of the city but this temporary truce, mm-hmm. right? So they have decided to stop fighting. And that is, that's where that story stops. The Iliad stops and the Odyssey comes in after that fact. So after like between the Iliad and the Odyssey is the event of the Trojan horse, mm-hmm. which again is sort of like, you know, they leave out, they totally, you know, bury the lead on that one and everything that is the most well-known about Troy and Trojan besides, you know, the Achilles heel is the Trojan horse, which is the gift of the giant wooden horse concealing the Greeks within that is wheeled up to the gate. And they were like, Hey, you know, let us into your giant wall. Look, this is a gorgeous horse. And they're all like, Holy smokes. Look at that. That's awesome. We need that in our town square. Open up the gates. And thus ends Troy. Um, yeah, so but that's never covered in any of that's never even a subject in any of Homer's work except in, in a passing or in a more of a subset of a reference. Yeah, so and what's interesting too, so we're talk we're talking about all this like it's again, we're almost I don't want people either to start thinking about like ancient Greece as being this Again, another point and another point, another historical point that maybe puts this into um, maybe we'll put this into perspective a little bit. This story first comes out around the time that Plato and Aristotle were alive. Right. This the the writing of Homer, I mean, not the story of Troy. Mm -hmm. Right. This Mm -hmm. this account of it. And so although in our kind of short retelling here, um, which please don't use for your high school English class. Um, you know, although we were trying to truncate it as best possible, highly truncated, there's books and books and books of it. And none of them have, none of them have my, uh, my fabulous vernacular. Well, so so there's that. The one thing I, the one thing I want to make clear though, too, is Uh, that although uh the, the way that we're telling it is very like matter of fact, like, oh, it seems like, you know, yeah, maybe there was a real Paris who, stole Helen of Troy, this beautiful woman from a king, and it caused this big war. All of that sounds real until you find out that like Helen was the daughter of Zeus and like 
Aphrodite or some crap, right? Like all of these people were said to be um, the way the way that I would liken if you're as big a nerd as I am, the way that I would liken Uh the saga of Troy to kind of a pop culture reference point that I can handle is Troy is like in the, in the age of myth. It's the age of gods. It's like if you were living in uh, the Shire, right in Hobbiton during during the I was time hoping of for the certain, ring. Uh, settlers of Catan reference no 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 it's like this, that like Come this on. this is like the Silmarillion right this is like if the Silmarillion mm. was taking his real history because there's this blurring of the there's a blurring of the lines between historical fact and the intercedence of the gods and how you know yes. men and gods seem to live side by side in this in this telling which right you know probably well, didn't almost- happen <laughs> <laughs> May didn't happen. We're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I would, I would err on the side of probably not, but it's also like the just so stories, right? It's like, these are allegories. They are saying yeah. they're, they're trying to make sense of events that are, you know, maybe don't have the meaning that comes out of them is more important than a factual base of what, of what the actual story is. So are they sons and, you know, sons and daughters of gods and mortals? No, they are more people that had uh, hubris or people that had a critical fault that even though they were held in high esteem so much as so as almost being godlike, their downfall would be that much more, um, would be that much more impactful because of, because of their, their, Lofty. Oh my God! I'm not even making. No, any good I, sense I know. With I know. This. I know, but you know I, what I mean. It's yeah, like, I, yeah, yeah. You, what you're saying is, yeah, yeah. The linkage to the gods and this this myth this mythologizing of the history that I think you put it. Okay, I think you put it in a good way. Uh, or I think you you've put it in a good way to me off air. That I'm going to try to remember <laughs> what the way you said it is. <laughs> this story. This story. It's it's using a. This in Homer's time, in the time of the people reading Homer's works, this was a this was an event that they all knew had happened. Yes. In the same way that we know that you know uh, the 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 I don't even know what a good I mean I guess like you know the founding of uh, Britain right the founding of Britannia as a thing or even say the Roman Empire right if or we we even, think about um, we, even the the Tea Party right. I mean, they threw the tea into the, I mean, and again, is it a factual event? It might have some factual roots, but it has been greatly mythologized to prove a bigger point. Yeah, right, right. I'm trying to think of one that's like, and actually, yeah, the Tea Party might be a good example, actually, because it is so, it's it's almost like a story. It's pervasive. It's, it's almost like a story written, yeah, about like, say, the Civil War, right? That's far mm-hmm. enough away, but still close enough in this time period that, the facts of it are still fresh in people's minds, even if all of the particulars may be. And you can imagine, I mean, imagine if that had not been historically uh, written down someplace, right? Because there really right. weren't written histories in the same way in the West um, up to this point. In, I mean, there kind of were, but, you know, whatever. Um, it's a very, it's it's like hearing about a story that happened in your town a long time ago, Right. And it's like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Everyone knows about the legend of, you know, Sleepy Dan or whatever. 
<laughs> you know how he slept three whole you days. You remember your cousin, Sleepy Dan? Whatever, yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying, though, right? It's this, yes, old, right? it's this kind of old myth that, that passed around by word of mouth. So everyone had heard of that story before. It's fertile ground for someone to make a allegory, make a story that's kind of like fictional. You know, it's kind of fiction, but it's kind of historical. It's, you know, fits right in just perfectly, right? And really, he's at the end of the day, he's teaching an important moral, which is the importance of good shoe wear. Cannot stress it enough. Who, Sleepy Dan? No, no, Achilles. It's heels. Oh, well, I was like, you were talking about Sleepy no. Dan, and I was like, dang. All right. Just something else I haven't heard of. So, yeah. So, this, so oh, it, God. Is, it is an idea here. It's kind of a sense of Troy existed in the distant past. The particulars aren't really there for, for a lot of people. But, you know, home, there's enough there for Homer to work with. And with that, we're going to jump into our first break. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily. And we're back from the break. And we're back. So, Troy... Also called his Sarlik. Turns out, yes. we think, and the, the, the allegedly, the site of his Sarlik is what today some archaeologists consider to be Troy. It's in northwest Turkey, and really that area of kind of northwestern Turkey has been identified with Troy basically since the story first became a thing like it's it's kind of always been known to be where troy should have been maybe right the specifics yes. of whether or not his sarlik is troy or whether or not troy as homer writes about it or as the myths describe it ever really existed that's another kind of can of worms that we can get into but essentially yes. some sense of this city existing has been around in in the world someplace this entire time continuously why yes. why it became lost to the West, I think, is a very fascinating story. But but in terms of the archaeology, in, ter- in terms of this place, uh, they do believe that this is this is probably at least a very strong contender for Troy, quote unquote. Yeah, and because it, it has a lot of the similar characteristics that Homer talks about when he describes Troy and the Iliad. So he says that there were huge walls, you know, mud brick breastwork walls that were at least 30 feet high, watchtowers built into the walls. And, you know, again, that it, it was a citadel that was well defended and would look over the plain and obviously was a, a military stronghold, which they are able to find remnants of in Hisarlik. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So and, and it's I think that that's one of the big the big main identifiers. 
But again, like the exact size of it is the size of it and sort of the level of what they've been able to dig and find out about it has has been is been disputed, right? Because there's many different layers of the archaeology archaeological dig that reveal different things. Yeah, so one of the big one of the big challenges with identifying this site as Sarlik as Troy, and one of the reasons probably why the city became lost, you know, as lost as, a, as an mm-hmm. entire city can become, is the fact that after every, you know, every single time Troy was sacked or destroyed or, you know, uh, run rampant or whatever, like every time something terrible happened to the city, they just kind of were like, okay, well, we're going to fill in everything underneath this with mud and we're just going to call it a new city. So they just, they literally right. built, they literally built city after city on top, which it was not, which on is not ruins. super uncommon really. Right. Um, at the end of right. the day, 4,000 years, you're going to, you're going to have some, uh, you're going to have some gentrification right on top of you. <laughs> There's just Starbucks on top of Starbucks. Right. So that's exactly it. What, and and so part of the problem then in identifying which Troy is which, I mean, first off, it's all literally like on top. It's it's like layers, right? It's almost like a, an ice core or something that you'd imagine, mm-hmm. right? So they're trying to I was identi- go with the cake analogy. A cake, a cake, no, a cake analogy is a good, a better analogy than an ice core. More people have seen a cake <laughs> than an ice core. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> and it's yummier. They're, they're, they're trying to find like the chocolate icing layer. But they're they're saying that it like it has all these features and everything else. And it's like, well, maybe you can kind of see some of these features, but you can't really see others. And, you know, so there's it's a challenge, right? It's it's challenging to find this thing and say that this is that especially not only that this was a major city, but that this was the city described by Homer 400 years after the city when it was sacked by the Greeks or whatever. Now, another problem with this, though, too, is the fact that a lot of the stuff we know about Troy is mythical in the stories, right? Like, there's no, Mm -hmm. you know, again, like the the Trojan horse or these other things. One of the problems is that the Troy that we have archaeologically doesn't seem to have ended the way that Homer said Troy ended, right? Right. Right. Which is with, with which is with uh, the Trojan horse being wheeled in. You know, and and them bringing it into the citadel through the gates, and it being a trap, and Troy falling or going under siege by the by the Greeks, which you would have again like mass destruction and sort of you would have a lot of remnants of war, like swords and helmets and swords. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which is not necessarily the case. And actually, what they what they ended up what they end up finding, in fact, is evidence of an earthquake mm-hmm. <laughs> right so it appears that which is crazy yeah so it appears that the city if if it was homer's troy that this city was not destroyed then by the greeks it was destroyed by an earthquake but again homer's writing 400 years later and he's also talking about godmen who <laughs> you know their ankles split and they you know whatever right so he's not not the best not the most um not the most reliable well, it's allegorical. Source. It is. Well, it's of course. It's yeah. allegory. Yeah. Right? No, so Marie, the horse. Always, you're always defending Homer, and I am sick of it, Marie. I know. <laughs> it is allegorical. I am always standing by the Greeks. So it's allegorical. So the, the, the horse is 
strangely enough, is one of the sigils of um, of Neptune. And right, Poseidon. What they think, Poseidon. And so what they think is that the earthquake would have also triggered, you know, mass, it being, well, this was more inland. But again, it's like, it would have triggered, it would have been associated with um, the sea for whatever reason. And so that, that giant horse actually represents, could be an allegory of a earthquake. Sure, which is interesting, right? Which is actually really interesting. That, that potentially, you know, a, that in other words, potentially that the earthquake was so massive that not only did it destroy the city, but it also caused an ensuing tsunami, right? A giant wave to come, mm-hmm. inland, which is mm-hmm. definitely, which is totally possible, right? It's not, it's not that inland, right? It's like, it's inland, but it's not, you know, anyways. And especially during the right. time period too, Troy was supposedly on a, uh, Troy at the time period, I believe was a, was actually a um, coastal city, right? So I believe that although today it's inland more, they have found evidence of the like Trojan, um, uh, what's the word? Like the docks and things. I think they have found evidence that the during the time period that they're thinking about that the the geology itself would have been different to put this area closer to the ocean than it is currently. Um, it's just it's fascinating to think that that would be what is translated out in sort of this in this allegory. Right. It's you kind know, of it started as a man, you know, or not a man, but a a natural occurrence and somehow it became a giant wooden horse. Yeah. It's it's very strange. Um, yeah. Someday we'll be talking about, I don't know, hurricane Sandy is like a giant, I don't know, a giant water beast or something. Um, so after the Greek sacking of the city, right. And it, or whatever the Greek takeover, I guess you'd say the city itself became known as Ilion. It no longer went, by Troy, it took on a new name. And so the people who took it over, though, knew that this was where Troy was and actually turned it into kind of a tourist trap, which is really funny. <laughs> you know, they're like, because of Troy! I kind of love, like, what I love is it was, a, it was a tourist destination almost immediately, right? So they've got all this narrative, they've got all this, you know, kind of this crazy backstory, and yeah, and they're like, yeah, come to Troy, see where it all happened, get your postcards and your t-shirts. You know, my parents went to Troy, and all I got was the stupid t-shirt. Which is really, yeah, it's crazy that there's like, <laughs> so really, it the reason it becomes, again, the reason that it becomes lost, kind of lost, so Troy's, Troy's position is known, let's say, and it's known as a real city up until Roman rule. After that, though, Troy starts to itself become almost an allegory for a fabled land where rulers, where the ancestors of rulers come from the gods. It becomes it becomes separated, I would argue, similar to how Mount Olympus is separated from the actual physical uh, geology of the area. Right. It becomes its own almost allegorical place where. The Romans would argue that the that Romulus and Remus, the um, the 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 fabled twins who found Rome, mm-hmm. that Caesar, his bloodline comes from Troy. Um, the British mm-hmm. crown will argue that Brutus, the initial uh, fabled Roman general who founds Britain 
as a colony mm-hmm. is is descended from Troy. Um, so will the French. The French will say that the um, Moringian, Moringian, I can never say it correctly, but their bloodline flows from Troy as well. Essentially, every single political power in the Middle Ages will claim that their inhabitants come from Troy, this mythical area, and it doesn't really matter where Troy is, right? But all of them come yeah. from it. All of them come from Troy, even though they're not, you know, none of them did. Maybe the Romans kind of, sort of, but like, you know, very tenuous, like seventh cousins. Um, so <laughs> well, there's no direct correlation, right? Like you said, it's, it's becoming the legend. They are drawing strength from, again, an allegory, and it's becoming a legend. So yeah. Alexander the Great, uh, Xerxes, right? You know, would they all sort of paid homage to this idea of Troy being the battle site and being this mythical place where God and man coexisted and that that's, that is where, you know, their bloodline or they're able to draw strength from. But to your point, were they, were they in, even in proximity? Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. And it's interesting that, so Troy, again, and so as they visit Troy, though, they're all coming to this area and they're seeing as time goes on and Troy becomes. I mean, it essentially after that, after so at its peak, Troy was huge. Mm-hmm. You know, it was thought of this like major metropolis. And then after this earthquake, it appears that it shrinks significantly and it never regains that footing that it had previously. And so Troy essentially goes from, you know, imagine if new imagine if in a thousand years new york city becomes just decimated fresno right? well yeah no seriously new york city becomes decimated and all yep. that's left of manhattan is um staten island right is this is this suburb is a small area yeah. that hints right. at something bigger maybe being there once and all the people there talk about this big thing that was once there but the city itself right. There just doesn't seem to be any evidence, right? It's a, it becomes a small right. farming community. And so yeah. it, it starts to become – it just becomes harder and harder to keep that that idea in your head that this was once a thriving area. You know, and so without yeah. – and, and, and even in our own time, without historical preservation, stuff like that just goes away, you know? I'm right now because I'm uh, because I am just a I'm in a depressive state right now, Marie. I've been reading a lot about the Holocaust, right? And so, jeez, oh, um, nothing like a little. I'm telling you, subject matter. But so I'm reading. Yep, for the so holidays. I'm, so I'm reading. I'm reading about. <laughs> I'm reading about. Um, I'm reading about this guy who, after the war, wrote the definitive, uh, the definitive history of the Holocaust, right? But he talks about in the introduction to his Mm -hmm. book, he talks about going to one of the sites and there just being nothing there. There's no evidence of anything ever happening there. And he's like, I know this is the spot, but if I didn't know about this, like people in the town around there don't talk about it. You know, there's no if I didn't know about this being there, I would have no idea. And it's It's sort of this. Yeah. And it's It's a ratio. Exactly. Exactly. It's only by people. Yeah keeping the thing in mind that you will remember it. Right. And I'm sure yeah, at the time well, period of, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really hard thing. It's like a thing vacuum effect almost. Right. Too. Exactly. Like it's like you see something again, like you're seeing something that should have this huge significance of, 
be it, you know, be it Troy, which would have had huge citadels. It would have been imposing and magnificent to look at. And now it's farmland. So it's this vacuum effect of like what, what should have been there is absent. And it even, it is even a greater loss than if you saw ruins, right? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing kind of almost with the Holocaust. The Holocaust is such a, a momentous, dark stain on on the world and our history, you know, it, mm -hmm. it, that it is like it's hard to like to go and to see something like to see again just sort of a normal town operating where where you would have had, you know, a, this occurrence is probably again just almost so jarring that it is like if you it, to me it's like. It's hard to describe if you if you if there's something there that you can look at and you can sort of uh, recognize or tie to and be like, oh, we're we this signifies an event or some kind of horror that happened. Mm -hmm. But if there's just nothing there, it's almost more there's almost more gravity to it. It's almost Absolutely. more destructive in your in your own psyche. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like this is it obliterated everything. And it's forgotten in some ways, too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's yeah. part of the challenge, too, I think, or part of the reason that Troy kind of goes away is, frankly, because, uh, I mean, because Turkey becomes part of the Ottoman Empire. Yep. Not that, you know, I mean, it's it's Turkey becomes essentially uh, closed off from. I mean, so first off, Europe goes. So it, Greek history is interesting because or Greek, I guess, thinking in, in the history of Western thought is interesting because there's kind of like a – there's the pre-Middle Ages period and then there's the post-Middle Ages period. Mm -hmm. And in the Middle Ages, we, we're just kind of like we don't, we don't think about anything anymore. You know, like all we're thinking about is Jesus. It's all we want to think about, right? So that middle period there of, you know, I mean the Crusades happen and mm – -hmm. The Ottoman Empire mm -hmm. becomes established in, like, the middle of the Crusades, like 1300, somewhere around there. Um, yep. You know, so there's all these reasons why we would lose um, access to this history of this of this site, of this area, but also literally of just the knowledge there, right? I mean, there's other, you know, the 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 location of Troy is, like, one of the least important things we lose due to the Middle Ages, <laughs> That we then have to yeah. rediscover, you know what I yeah. mean? Like science and, <laughs> what and I think reason. Is, what I thought was so amazing is how they talk about it now, too. And there's a there's a quote. So basically, it would have been a huge multicultural city as well. Mm. It would have been, uh, it would have, you know, a major strategic importance throughout the Bronze Age. It would have been the gateway into the Black Sea. It would have been a trade route. It would have had this, you know, it would have had... Um, like different foreign influences coming in. It would have touched a lot of other cultures. And one of the archaeologists that went back in and was, you know, again, talking about this that we read about, I thought had this really interesting quote that, again, speaks so well to um, sort of the problem of archaeology and in, in, in that he says, it's a bit like London, a capital with lots of foreign influence as a result of trade and migration. I have no doubt that foreigners were residents of Troy in the 14th and 13th century BC as well. But what's so interesting is that he's like, it's a bit like London. 
And that's his point of comparison. It's like, no, London was a bit like Troy. Right. <laughs> London was a bit like this other city. Like, to be able, I, I get like as a as sort of a linear time, that's what you would compare it to, especially if you're British. But it's this sort of neo-colonial attitude that it's like, this city was maybe as great as the one we're living in now. Right. Well, the- <laughs> Which is so, so, so on, so on point that it's right. a little like a, a bit too on the nose. The, the other thought the, – so one of the thought experiments – because I was thinking about this. I was, I was sitting in bed at night. It was like 4 a.m., eyes dry, right? Just <laughs> staring at the ceiling. Um, yes. When you, were, when you were done reading about the Holocaust, you were like, thinking, what else do I got? And I was thinking to myself, Marie, how mm-hmm. could you lose mm-hmm. – could could we today lose a city? You know? Oh, God, yeah. Well, so and here's you the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing, right? Thinking about – thinking about just, just you listeners yourselves, right? Mm-hmm. If you are in – if you're in – if you're not living in Atlanta right now, Try to picture mm-hmm. where Atlanta is on a map. Mm-hmm. Is Atlanta near an ocean? Is Atlanta near a lake? Is Atlanta where on the it's map? Not near an is ocean, it? necessarily. Yeah. Where on the ma- where on the where on the map is it? Right? Could you? Mm-hmm. Could you even in this day with computers and everything else and all the knowledge that we have? put a pin on a map and guesstimate without the location of states and everything else. Could you guesstimate where Atlanta is? Chicago? Could you do it for New York? Mm-hmm. Could you do it for Boston? Could you do it for LA? I can't even tell you where the hell LA is. I have no idea. No idea where LA is on a map. I have absolutely no conception. I can't even pinpoint where Iowa is. And I'm pretty sure my state is contiguous with Iowa, Marie. To me, the, the idea that in an age where information travels so slowly that a people mm-hmm. that are separated culturally now they're separated culturally they're so separated geographically and over time they become separated more and more and more the idea of losing a city in that sense to me is not all that crazy you know it, at, yeah. at first it seemed huh. nuts to me but the more i think about it the more sensible it becomes i mean not sensible but you know i lose my glasses all the time and i use those every day <laughs> I've never even been to Troy, <laughs> but really, really though, to be like completely serious though, I think that well, it's you- not like it's not like they misplaced Troy. It happened. To, it's long time, right? It's the idea of a long time. Like, yeah, it, to your point, it's this cultural. It's a cultural evolution, and things change, right? It becomes a different empire, but then also, if a city is is decimated by an earthquake or by a siege or by civic upheaval. You know what is built in its place is going to be different and have a different identity. So it could it, it doesn't have to be an, an total erasure, but all of a sudden the city as it is becomes something different. Right. You know, you right? Know, what, you know what else this reminded me of today? I sound like a giggling what? idiot. I bought a um I bought a series of uh, like electric like electronics screwdrivers and stuff. Because here's the thing, I got sick really? of. I got sick of breaking video game controllers and then having to buy new ones when I know the what? thing that's when right. I know. Okay, Wait, we're going to no, 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 no. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why are Go we ahead. breaking them? 
Why are we breaking them? Marie. Why are we breaking these things? <laughs> Marie. Are you, is this, are you throwing them around? Like, what are you doing with these things? Are you using them to, like, you know, like, instead of, uh, you know, appliances? Like, what's going on? Instead of mixers and stuff? Marie, I, hmm. okay, first off, video games are very stressful. Okay. So that's point number one. Hmm. Point number two is I drop stuff all the time. I just said I can't be I can't be in charge of a video game controller that I bought with my own money, let alone I mean I can't even believe the house isn't it's on like, fire right now. It's two feet off the ground, dude. Terrible. Are you Marie, dropping I drink, it off? Okay, okay, right. Do you live on a cliff? Okay, this is not this is not <laughs> attack Chris's lifestyle time. Oh, this come is on. talk about I, Troy I, time. So here's this the thing. Is, this is genuine questioning. I'm just curious. I'm fine. worried about. I'm worried about you now. <laughs> I'm worried about you, Chris. On some precipice. Some, okay. You're surrounded by crevasses. So we with bought the, <laughs> the tritus of old video games. So we. So I bought this. I bought this set from Amazon of like controller things, and I um mm-hmm. I popped open my controller and like I fixed it. Like I fixed the little button that was broken. It wasn't really broken. It was just like dislodged. So I fixed it. Whatever. Put it all back together. Cleaned it up. Everything was going great. Closed it back up. It's never worked greater. Came back in here to do this podcast, and I found a screw. Uh-oh. Uh, uh, now, from this what? is a, From the game? It's got to be from the controller. From the thing? God knows where. God knows where from. Eh. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? You don't need it. That mm-hmm. was like, there's like seven screws in this thing, and I couldn't manage to put back one of the seven in the right spot. You know what I mean? Forget, like, putting together a civilization based on myths. You know what I mean? I had a YouTube video telling me I I could see someone else take this thing apart in front of me, and I still misplaced a part of it. So you're probably – one of your parents probably wasn't a god. No, no. Unless Dora's got powers I don't know about. Anyways. All right. So. So, uh, so Troy, so Troy, through a series of kind of cultural shifts and historical shifts and just, just time itself never regains its status. It becomes a small farming community called Hisarlik. And that's essentially what it is until like the 1800s. Yes. And at this point, people who are studying, um, Hellenistic culture, which that's going to be kind of the Holy Roman empire, and kind of like a weird mix of like Egypt, Turkey, Greece, Rome, um, and and Roman historians decide. Mm-hmm. Some of them decide maybe there's something to these legends, you know. Mm-hmm. And this is the mm-hmm. time period where people are seriously looking for Atlantis. They're looking for Mu, another lost continent. They're looking for Lemuria, this crazy land of the lemurs. And so some of these, some of these historians though, start to think, well, the story of Troy is a little bit less in, it seems on the surface to be a little bit less crazy than the story of Atlantis. Yeah. And it, and it appears. They're sending. Yeah. And they're sending out, I mean, this is also the, the era of exploration, right? Everyone's trying to locate and find and claim Everything. You know, these forgotten lands, these, you know, forgotten lost civilizations right. that, you know, again, seem a lot like London. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. So, seriously, though, people are at this time period seriously funding expeditions to find El Dorado. Oh. To find yeah. – this is the time period where we're still talking about there being a hollow earth. I mean, we're still talking about it today. God help us all. But into uh. this fray will come – the next great natural disaster to hit Troy, 
Heinrich Schliemann. Yes. Who we're going to pick up with next episode. Until then. Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host, Marie Mayhew. If you'd like to contact the show, please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at Mad Scientist Pod or at Team Giant Squid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram, and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. We love doing that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen. Our web design is done by Desdemona Howard. And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal. Thanks again for listening. (laughs) Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production. Don't you know that you're a grown up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.